So welcome, willkommen, bienvenido, uh, bienvenue. How do you say it in Mandarin? Uh, ni hao. Yeah, ni hao. Oh, wait, no, they say welcome, right? Yeah. Huaying. Huaying. For all the listeners who are uh, listening, I'm not Chinese. I just pretend to be sometimes. He looks Chinese, to be honest. <laughs> And that's not racist, because he's not Chinese. <laughs> anyway, Go on. <laughs> anyway, anyway, welcome to the Broken English Podcast. Uh, and that's welcome to all peoples of any country, of any nationality. Except the gypsies. We don't, we don't welcome you. I think that's very wrong to say. I don't have a problem with gypsies. I'm, I'm sorry. You got to cut yourself off somewhere. No, you don't. You really don't. You, you don't. I wish you'd stop taking this approach. <laughs> I, put, I put the no gypsy filter with these podcasts on. Oh. Sorry, sir. Why would you do that? It's just my father talking. I apologize to all gypsies who are listening out there somewhere. So we weren't going to get started on the gypsy conversation in any way, shape, or form. What we were going to do is we were going to start with... We're going to get angry letters from gypsies all over the world. <laughs> all over the world now. I'm not going to say anything, because anything I do say, if there is someone listening, it could be objectionable. Anyway, so what we're going to start with is Bowler today went to his car, and uh, his car was parked... Where was it parked? Pender and what? It was parked... It was parked on... Kiefer and Jackson. Kiefer and Jackson. Yeah, near that intersection. And overnight, of course. So so for those of you listening that are near a computer or a phone, just uh, go to Google Maps and do Kiefer <laughs> or Jackson Street in Vancouver, BC. And what do I find? I find footprints on the top of my car hood. Now, to me, it was just like that was just surprising because it was just like, I didn't even know that was even possible. Now, here's the thing. Um, we live in a bit of a strange city, and maybe we don't. Maybe we're just deluded because we happen to live here, but we happen to think it's a bit strange. Because while Bowler had that experience, and we're both very curious as to how some random footprints appear on a person's hood, as in what was the motivation of the hood stepper, mm-hmm. <laughs> who decided to then do whatever... Um, Because, yeah, Bowler doesn't have a dash cam set up, so we don't know what the the situation was there. And we'd be kind of curious to see what happened. But I had a similar, well, not a similar, but I had an experience recently where I had a strange thing happen to my car where someone stole the rear windshield wipe. Oh, yeah, that's... Why? Why would you, A, do that? B, what was the purpose of... Stepping on the hood. I mean, well, I for your for for your for your scenario where they they actually steal the 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 rear windshield wiper. I mean, I'm just learning that these auto parts are pretty lucrative. But oh, especially for these guys, you, they can I, make some money off. I mean, of it. I also have to wonder though because the thing is, is it's a specific one for a specific car. Yeah. Do the thieves know this? Oh, they know that. Are they aware? Okay, well, this particular part fits this model, etc. Is there a black market that we don't really know about There's whereby a... they sell these and it's like, oh, yeah, you know what? There... No, I'll get you a real windshield wiper for next to nothing. There is a black market, it looks like, for Honda Civic uh, uh, mirrors. A black market for, was it, the uh, Kia, Kia Cube uh, rear windshield wipers? Kia Soul. Sorry, sorry Kia Soul. Nissan Cube. <laughs> Nisa, sorry, my bad. I mean, Kia. Kia Soul. You may not have been driving for that long, but pay attention. 
So there's a there's clearly a market for that because they wouldn't be stealing this stuff. Well, I wonder whether it's that or whether it's just what I suspected with mine, which could have been true with yours as well. Drunken teenagers or well, drunken hmm. people in general acting a fool and going, you know what? Hey, it's done on that car because I hope it was. Because at least that would put it in perspective for me. Because then I, if it wasn't, then I'm like, well, what else do I have to keep an eye out for, right? You mean the only thing I'm prepared for is a smashed window. Now, what's going on if somebody's tap dancing on the hood of my car? What do I do with that? Or finding other ways to get in my car <laughs> through, through other means that I never really thought about. Yeah. So nevertheless, that's how we're breaking you into this particular podcast. Yes. Talking about the oddities that happen to happen every now and again in Vancouver, British Columbia. What we're going to do today is we're going to talk a little bit about standing in. Standing in being what people do on film sets to make sure that the lighting's there and everything is set up for the actors to just step in and for the scene to take place. Because I think a lot of people don't realize that when they're setting up the scenes, they don't actually use the actors because it would just be too draining on the actor because they're supposed to be there and they're only there to use their energy and time acting. So you just can't have them... You just can't have them standing around for... It can be hours sometimes and setting up a scene, right? Right. And the thing is, is a lot of people belittle the craft of acting. Um, everyone has the approach, oh, I can do this. <laughs> it's one of the least respected uh, aspects of performance. They don't understand us. Well, they don't understand it because of the fact that people seem to assume it's solely reciting lines. Yeah, And exactly. if it is solely reciting lines, that's perfect because that would be relatively easy. It's, I'll just memorize these lines, I'll just say these words. Right. However, there's a difference between reciting written words and performing and creating and yeah. being emotional and showing the range and being present. And that's why someone like a stand-in is essential to be able to have it that... While people create these really elaborate thoughts about uh, trailers and things like that, whereby the actor's just sitting there, you know, abusing their power or smoking or sleeping or whatever they happen to be, it's actually, you're trying to memorize things, you're trying to work things out so that when you go out there, you don't have to do 200 takes unless the director insists. You can just be there. And if you were there to do all the lighting and all the setups beforehand, then what would ordinarily be about a 15-hour day is going to turn out a lot longer because by hour nine, you in no way can perform how you could earlier on if you were resting and working things out. Yeah, because now think of it like you're physically exhausted. So it would be absurd to get you to do that, right? To exhaust yourself in that, uh, on that level, right? When you're supposed to be reserving your energy for your emotions and your performance. And that's where standing in comes in because essentially what happens is, and this isn't always the case, but your production or your casting director, your background casting director, will try and come up with someone uh, local that has a similar look and or pigmentation and or sex. So if we can and we got... This white red-headed guy, we want a white red-headed male. Right. Preferably. Preferably, yes. Um, The problem is, is that's not always the case. Right. Because I've seen many times, I'm sure you have too, I've seen uh, black men standing for little white girls. (laughs) I've I've done that. (laughs) It's happened. 
I've seen the gamut going across there of people that have no match in terms of lighting and or height and or sex <laughs> being there just so that they can have a figure in the way. Yeah. So that we can have it lit and we can track it. It's it's the worst case scenario, right? If you just don't have the exact person that looks exactly like that person, you're gonna have to go with your next the next best thing that's standing next to you, basically. Precisely. And the reason that you want someone as close to the appearance of your actor as possible is because when you light them and when you're blocking, especially in terms of height and of course yeah. physical form, if you've got a broad-shouldered male uh, standing in for uh, a small-shouldered female, it's not going to be the same in terms of how the shot's going to look and right. it's not going to be able to be worked out in the same way. I mean, even, like I said, even when you talk about skin pigmentation, like you, you light somebody differently who's darker than somebody who's lighter. Precisely. Because it's just the way this medium works, those things are actually elements that you have to be aware of and you have to uh, pretty much light accordingly. Completely. And that's the thing about the standing. The standing role plays a major part of it. Um, and the reason being, of course, we want everything worked out beforehand. Anyone that hasn't worked on a film set will not know that it takes a long time to do a scene well. Holy I mean, shit. you know, it, it could be it could be a very short scene. It always boggles my mind how long these things take, right? Fever for something relatively simple. You see like a what, a one minute scene on a, on a, a show or a movie? And a lot of people don't even realize how long sometimes that can take. I mean, a lot of people don't realize how shots done at night are done at night. Yeah. <laughs> like when I was doing act, when I was acting on Supernatural, I was just in a scene that's only, what, a couple of minutes long. It's just like, I don't know. It was just one of my first experiences being in a scene, like just pretty much being on camera in a scene and doing something like that. And you kind of, I just remember what it was like doing the scene and how long it took and then just watching it on TV and how, like, it just, it's, the whole scene is gone in a flash, right? But in order to actually obtain that, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot yeah. of planning. Uh, it frustrates the hell out of it's me. It's very interesting how people underestimate the mainstream and exactly how much work goes into it because it is a tremendous amount of effort to yeah. make it work perfectly. Um, I am, I, I definitely am, uh, I admire how they can get all this stuff done, knowing how long it takes. Like you ever watch, like you ever watch like a big budget movie and just realizing how much, like how many days that takes and how many hours on a day are worked on that kind of film. And I, sometimes I look at it and go, man, when did they do that? Well, but, but not just that. I think TV shows are more impressive for me. And the reason I say TV shows are more impressive is because the amount of pages they try and turn over and the long hours yeah. that they go. Because in a, in a big budget film, they tend to be a lot more relaxed with doing less in a day. Like they do less yeah. in a day, but they do less in a day properly. Yeah, there's, there's, there's less of that time crunch because you've got a long time to work. you got a long time, basically, to do this thing, right? And the movie doesn't come out until like the year after. It tends to, yeah. Yeah, whereas a TV show, you know, you're trying to get this stuff done relatively in a short time because these episodes are going to start rolling out months from now. Precisely. Yeah. Now, the other thing with regards to standing in is there's a significant difference between that which occurs in America 
to the best of my knowledge, and that which occurs in Canada. In Canada, we don't learn the lines, we don't say the lines, we don't do anything. We are solely moving bodies that maybe move our mouths, but we don't say anything. If you say something, yeah. you're now classified as an actor. If you run the lines, you're now classified as an actor. Whereas in the US, to the best of my knowledge, they have, they have the sides, which for those of you listening that don't know what sides are, sides are basically the scenes of the day from the script or the screenplay that have been reduced, that you can reduce in size. They're no longer a full sheet of paper. It's about half a sheet of paper. Size two font. Right. And you just, you know what's going on. You know the beats, as in the timing, and you know where you're going to stand. Now, in certain productions that I know that have come from the US, the standings are to know the dialogue and to just say it. They don't have to perform it, but they say it. Hmm. Um... That doesn't happen in Canada. Yeah, because I've done a lot of standing in, and it's um, I don't remember having to ever recite the lines. Definitely, you gotta pay attention to what's on the side and what the scene is about because they're gonna, because a lot of the times you'll have to reenact the scene physically. Maybe not dialogue, but just get the motions right. Go here to there, step there, take this step, you know, uh, pick that up. Yeah, all that stuff. So the physical stuff. Is something you have to pay attention to. Right, and that's extremely vital because the thing is, is if you look at any sort of planning, you need to know, for example, the DP needs to know, am I going to have to have this handheld? Will I be able to right. put this on dolly tracks and move it this way? What is the situation going to need to be for this shot in order for it to flow the way we want it to? Now, if the actor's stepping too far to the left or too far to the right, my frame wasn't meant to have him go that far. Yeah. So now what we've got set up for focus what the focus puller is trying to react to, what the lighting crews have set up to make it look a certain way is now null and void. And that's why you have stand-in. So that when the actor comes in to hit their marks, to hit their beats, they have a specific setup already predetermined with everyone else. They're lit for it and we're good to go. Yeah. So it, it, to me, it's, just, it's always been interesting watching how that all is... Uh, how that all how that all is constructed it's it's kind of a it's it's actually it's like a work of art actually you see a whole bunch of people figuring this whole out thing whole thing out and it's like a painting right that's taking place with a lot of people painting it and then just seeing how the how technically it's all laid out and how it's all executed it's really interesting well and plus there's the stuff to do with it's not even taking into account the idea that you have the boom operator having to know where his edge of frame is and stuff and all of that so it's it's just something to really be certain of beforehand because if you don't have that set up beforehand um <laughs> your day is <laughs> going to be a lot longer yeah you should you, you got to figure that out before you just start shooting right you gotta we, especially when there's a, like a lot of motion going on or any kind of motion and that's the advantage between being a mainstream big budget production versus an indie production, versus a micro-budget production, etc. Um, the liberties of having someone stand in yeah. pay off in dividends. Yeah. But again, stand-ins aren't free. Stand-ins are paid, and they're paid well for what they're doing. Yeah, it's good money for the amount of work that you do. Precisely. It's great money for the amount of work that you do. Yeah. So, so what do you think about this uh, article that I told you about with regards to Netflix acquiring an independent cinema that had closed its doors in New York? I, I actually, when I when I saw that, I actually that was a really I thought it was a really good idea. Now I don't know all the the 
pretty much the whole all the details about this theater and its history and the kinds of people that go to it right basically it seems like netflix did save the theater from being demolished and turned into i don't know another condo in new york or something uh how this plays out i don't know because it's it seems like it's going to be a theater and then it's going to be only now playing netflix movies or netflix stuff but i think that's kind of fantastic i think it, what it is, is um, the Paris Theatre, I believe, was a, or is, a single screen theatre. Right. So they'll have one at a right. time, just kind of like you do when you go to a theatre to watch a play. Playing Homeland over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> but, but when you go to uh, see a play, for example, right. you they have a matinee and they have an evening performance, but it's one show only right. on that stage. And Netflix, with their money being invested into things like A Marriage Story and The Irishman, are yeah. spending a lot of money on really top-tier material. Right. If it's done well, if you've got the right cast and all the rest of it, why not offer those that don't want to pay for Netflix? Because, frankly, they're not caring about another episode of Nailed It Cooking or <laughs> any of these type of shows. But they do recognise the fact that it's... a there's a Martin Scorsese film. Right. You know, there's um, a Noah... Is it Bombash or something? Or Bombash? No. Uh, it, the marriage if, if, if they're using it... If they are using it for that purpose, where they're going to play like the top tier stuff, give it a film premiere treatment, I'm all for that. Because, I mean, th- there's been this whole debate now, especially going back between Netflix and a lot of filmmakers about the nature of their business and how... It may be destroying theaters and things like in in that whole debate. I think I think him Spielberg was going back and forth with Netflix about this. I think. I mean, Spielberg's made comments. Tarantino's made comments. Yeah. But by and large, I think these. Are... I do understand where they come from. I understand where they come from, and I respect and love their material both as well. However, I would say that isn't in any way well not not in any way but i don't believe that falls on netflix's shoulders yeah. that falls on the consumer's right. shoulders that falls on me feeling lazy at the end of the day and not wanting to do anything but still wanting good content because i and now that i think about this this sounds very familiar this argument because i remember this was the argument when vhs tapes came out right this was the exact kind of argument where a lot of people were kind of like, mm, they were wary about it, that it might destroy the the movie theater or the the, the movie theater experience, right? Diminish it or destroy it. Uh, but it didn't, and, and it, I don't think it, uh, it clearly didn't because there was still an appetite for that kind of experience. I think people just, I think we're realizing that people want to consume movies, movies specifically in various ways. And it's not a, it's not just one clear cut way that people only want to experience it. Cause I love that experience of going to a movie and go, God damn, that was a great film. Mm-hmm. And then having it come out later on. And then I was like, I want to go buy the DVD or something like that. Right. I think what's interesting. This was back in the day. <laughs> I think what's interesting and what I absolutely love is, uh, the, the understanding that companies like Netflix are having that their products are up to par, that they are greatly written pieces that deserve an audience yeah. now there's not one person I know maybe there's a couple but <laughs> um, most people would love the opportunity to have a movie sized screen in their home 
Like if you well, could, if you could go into one of your rooms, and you had a movie-sized screen, and you had surround sound, and it was just there, and you had the experience of an auditorium, right. but you could be there in your pajamas, and you could be relaxed, and the rest of it. People would want that because okay. there's something fantastic about that. Yeah, if if you had the means to do that, I'm on right? about if you had the means. Yeah, if you had the means, I. But if you had because, the means, it's because a film experience, like a true film. With that happens to be shot in thirty five millimeter yeah. or replicates thirty five millimeter, contains that unknown element, that richness, that texture that cannot be uh, thus far emulated on a conventional television. The it does it just has that difference, and then like I was saying before, the communal aspect of it. Yeah. I know some people. <laughs> can can debate the that aspect of it because you know a movie can be ruined by a crowd it it does happen but the cold communal aspect of watching a film with a whole bunch of people in this giant theater with big sound and a big screen is there's just something about it that adds to the, the watching of this movie completely um but do you think this is going to be something that they're going to start as a trend I mean, or is it some sort of gimmick? They, no, they've been they've been doing these things for a bit. They've had their films uh, on a limited release before. Um, the problem that tends to happen is Netflix wanted to have a very limited release, and most hmm. movie theaters want to be able to have a run on it. Yeah. What I mean by that is, The Irishman, I think, was given two or three weeks in theaters. Right. All theater chains are like no. We don't want two or three weeks. We want it to be wider. Right. We want it to be that we can have bums on seats and if it performs, we can keep it there for a bit, etc. And Netflix's response is just like, yeah, cool. Um, no. <laughs> and they have the option to just do what they will with it. Right. I see. But so, it kind of, I think I get the sense that they might be gearing up for something. I wonder. Um, the other thing that I was going to say um, was... Have you heard about how Netflix are now moving to Criterion? No. And they're... Are you familiar with Criterion? The Criterion editions of films is this... Um, I can know... I, I know... I, I, I always remember what it... Criterion... The, 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 they now actually have their own streaming channel as well. Um, what is the Criterion edition? Criterion basically tends to be... You have really good quality restorations of films or releases of films with extras and bonuses... Much right. broader than you would your standard DVD. Like, your standard DVD used to come with maybe a commentary. Yeah. Or maybe something like that. But the Criterion collection of something tends to be more expansive. Right. Delete scene, so on and so on and so forth. Well, Netflix are releasing their first Criterion DVD slash Blu-ray next year for Roma. Okay. Which they released in the previous year. And I believe... I'm not sure I'm 100% correct on this, but I believe that also had a limited theatrical run prior to, and then that cleaned up yeah, the awards and stuff. Yeah. Well. So, yeah. Well, I hope it's definitely, I hope they use it definitely for something to add to the actual theater or, or to actually maintain that theater experience. Now, whether it's, this is an extension of something bigger and larger. Who knows? I mean, it's not cheap to have a chain of these things all over the place, right? That being said, New York is not a bad place to have this out there. New York is the best city <laughs> in the world. Yeah. Bar none. Bar none. 
there is nowhere I like more on yeah. planet Earth thus far than New York City. Right. Where where was this theater? Was it in Manhattan? Yes, yeah, in Manhattan. Okay, so that's a great location right there. So right, I'm sure it will perform well. I find uh, Netflix is a phenomenally interesting company because I don't know how much you know about their finances, but they are a company built largely on debt and increasing yeah. of debt and debt and debt and debt. I I don't know the exact figures behind them. I oh mean, yeah. They have a lot of money coming in because they've got major subscription rates. They've got a lot of investors too. Precisely. Yeah. I mean, their share price is consistently quite high. But if you look, but I mean, it's not, it's not a secret that um, it's still not a profitable business as yet. Like it's still, it's still establishing itself. It seems like they're just taking a page from Amazon, right? Right, right. It's, it seems to be the same model that if you remember Amazon didn't make any money for its like first 10 years or something like that. And there was always this criticism of it. It's like, you know, but I think it was a strategy of building a client base and uh, a client base. Right. And then from there learning to profit from it, which I think is an essential thing to do. I think that Netflix and their original design of initially licensing content, then creating their own to the point whereby Netflix original content is equal to and or surpassing and will surpass their amount of licensed stuff was a brilliant move. Yeah. Because then you get people going, you know what? I really like Narcos. You know what? I re- And I don't like this show. I really <laughs> like Orange is a New Black. Not a fan. But people do. You know, it's, I'm sorry. It's, it's, I just, I'm just trying to, I'm remembering when Netflix was just a DVD rental company. Blockbuster thought they wouldn't make it. Yeah. And they tried to sell the idea to Blockbuster. And they just were there, nah, pass. You gotta be forward. That's just one of those things where it's like, yeah, you see, you, you see, there's just one of those pivotal moments in history where it's like, you know, you make a decision, you don't realize the, how exactly it turns out, the consequences of it, and how it turns out afterwards. And how they, those, those two paths cross, and then we see one go in one direction, and the other go in the other direction. You know, I did something you would never have uh, imagined. But I remember that. Remember, they were just like DVD rentals through mailbox. Yeah. Yeah. What was the one they had here? They had they had a couple here in Canada too. They that had zip Yeah, I I even had that too, and I was like, man, this is freaking revolutionary. Like just to be able to just do it online, rent a rent whatever you wanted, and then just throw it in the mailbox and have new ones come, and it was all on unlimited. I mean, that was exciting. (laughs) And now it's moved into this and Netflix have the opportunity to and regularly do um, increase their fees. But the thing is, is it becomes so built into your everyday habit that you don't really care slash notice. But if you add $2 or $1 to millions upon millions of users, it's a pretty (laughs) nice profit margin to jump up by. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or... I mean, sky's the limit in terms of how they can make, how they can profit off of all those millions and millions of users, right? There's lots of ways. Hmm. I mean, what I am starting to be a little bit annoyed by is, do you have Amazon Prime? Yeah. They've started having um, promo roles at the beginning of shows, which on the one hand, you're sort of like, okay, I get it. These are things which I can see. But on the other hand, 
it's a subscription. Didn't I already pay for this? Yeah, precisely. <laughs> like, yeah. precisely. It's like I, I, it's like watching HBO and then seeing like a, a Ford F one fifty commercial show up in the middle of Game of and Th- before Game of Thrones, and well, I'm I like, mean, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go as far as to say a car commercial. <laughs> it's not that, but, it, but it's sort of it's showing the the other content that they have. Yeah, yeah, that you that, might yeah. not be interested in, and I, yeah, I see what they're trying to do. They're trying to promote their other stuff, right? Yeah, which I get. Um, but sometimes you just don't want that. Sometimes you just want it to insta-play. Yeah. And that's also where Netflix was smart with regards to their skip intro portion of their shows. Yeah, but that's the intro of, that's the intro of, like, the show. Right, but, but I'm saying even, that's taking it a step further, so. (coughs) Which I, which actually I'm pretty torn about that feature. Why? Because, I mean, for me, it's like getting, when I get into a show. And it's like the intro just seems to be part of it for me, and it's like yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> it's like I completely agree with you. I I just don't want to skip it. I feel like I'm skipping the I'm skipping the the, the episode. I completely agree with you. However, there are times yeah, where yeah. you're just like, you know what? I'm tired. I I know I like this, but I just want to hear the story. Do I, do I just it. want to be told what's going on. Okay, it's like so I love I the get, Narcos intro, but I gotta I gotta, I gotta yeah, skip to this spot to show somebody and, something. And these introductions are lovely now. They're lovely. They tend to be a piece of art all unto themselves. Yeah. You know, certain shots and animations and things like that. You just, it's jaw dropping. But I remember, did you ever watch True Blood? Uh, I watched the, yeah, I kind of watched like the first few seasons with my old roommate. So True Blood and, well, I don't even know why I'm just saying True Blood. Any (laughs) HBO show. Any HBO show, from True but, Blood to True Detective to Sopranos. But any, like for example, any Game of Thrones fans, right? Yeah. I mean, the, that intro, the intro, when that, music when that and, intro, and, yeah, could you imagine just tuning into an episode and then it's like, it just goes straight to the episode and you'll have like the, like that intro gets you into the zone, right? No, I completely agree. Right? I, I don't know why, I guess it's probably because... I get bored of the Bojack Horseman introduction. Yeah, on maybe Netflix. maybe so there's like, some. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Skip intro. <laughs> I mean, there are some. Some which, intros are part of the show. Yeah, very much so. And like it's an essential, integrated very part of the so. of very the show, and so. it's like, and I, skipping it is not an option. Yeah, well, I mean, it depends. It, it, well, it is an option, but I don't <laughs> click it. I mean, if you've only got five minutes to watch something, and it's an hour long show. You want to skip the intro so you can get right into some of the juicy what just happened. But no, you're absolutely right. Some of these introductions are pivotal. Completely. Completely. Speaking of that, I can't wait for Homeland. <laughs> I missed that intro. Next season is coming out, was it February? The last season? It's the final one, is it? Yeah. I, I don't think I've watched the previous one. But I do know that that's one of the few shows that is just. That's when the recession is going to start. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you. When, when you see eco- when you see economists pull out the charts, you're gonna see a steadily decline of economic activity in the Western, no, in, in North America, and it's gonna coincide with uh, the return of the last season of Homeland, <laughs> or at least in my financial. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm not so sure about that, um, but no, Homeland is superb. Uh, Claire Danes is an amazing actress, and all of her yeah. co-stars in that show are just, just superbly done. I want to see how they're gonna. I want to see how they're gonna end this. 
It's always, there's so few instances where a show is ended properly. I mean, <laughs> Game of Thrones obviously was one of the ones that people hate the most. Now, here's the thing. I'm, I've never, I don't know what happened at the end of Game of Thrones because I was just never watched the series past the first few episodes. But from all the buzz I've heard, it seemed like there was riots that were going to start because so here's the thing. it seems like fans weren't happy about here's that. Here's the thing. Or how it ended, um, however it ended. It... <sighs> Game of Thrones is one of those shows whereby the quality of the material for the first six seasons, I would argue seven, a lot of people just say the six, right. and then the seventh, they say it didn't get as good, but seven seasons of great material. Right. You had a build-up that kept going. HBO had told the writers, according to all accounts, that we're willing to do ten seasons. And the writers were just like, ah, we can do it in eight. Right. <laughs> so towards the end of it, it mm. became very rushed. Right. Um, and the problem with the final season was, bear this in mind, I'll say to you, you know what, Bola, the next show we do, Broken English has no budgetary limits. Do what you want. Take as long as you want. Take a year off so we can have everything work properly. Do whatever you need to, and then deliver it. Now, what happened with Game of Thrones was, they had that year, they had that year... Um, to get the post-production done properly, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And what they produced were six episodes, maybe two or three of which were really good, one of which was exceptional. Right. This is for the last season? Of the last season. Oh, okay. But then in terms of all the different stories that they created, all the different plot lines that they had, all the different intricacies of so many great characters, they gave the most abysmal wrap-up, <laughs> the most abysmal answer to the questions that you had um, throughout the, you know, 70-plus hours, maybe even 80 hours of watching the show. Right. They gave you an awful response to the end of it. And I, it's very disappointing because everyone that was invested in the show beforehand was all up for it. The writer of it had said, I'm up for you doing 10 seasons. And so then... But the... And they were writing beyond. They were writing beyond what the, the 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 books were. Precisely, what happened was, up to season six, they were going with what George R. R. Martin had written, right. and kind of having their own spin and take off of his material. Right. So obviously, the book is different to what the screenplay and what the show became, but there are many similarities. After that, it was just sort of like, yeah, Bola, I want you to write about this, and this is the general gist let's, of where we're going Let's with add it. some car chases here and there. But I'm telling you... It's probably what I'd done. I'm telling you. Game of Thrones? <laughs> yeah. The first six seasons, stellar. The seventh season, I really liked. The eighth season, um, I had a friend who watched it all in one fell swoop recently. But season one to eight? Yeah. Like, she did it probably over the course of a couple of months. How many episodes per season, generally? I think it was like 10 or 11 for the first one, and then it averaged about 10. Okay. Um, until the seventh, where it was like six or seven, maybe eight. Okay, so that's... And the last one was six episodes. That's doable. So she watched the whole thing. Yeah. And then she said when she saw the last episode, she said, ah, oh, it wasn't that bad. And it was because we'd all, as in the general population, had overhyped how <laughs> bad it was. But I'm telling you, right. we didn't overhype it. It was that bad. It was the ultimate disappointment. Anyone that enjoyed that episode, don't talk. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to know That's you. That's a declaration you right have, there. You have no taste. <laughs> like, set some standards. Set some simple standards. 
If a show fucks up and makes you disappointed, admit that. <laughs> maybe they, maybe those folks like that, that your friend, for example, just wasn't with the show for so many years like everybody else was, right? They didn't go to the conventions or but, but, <laughs> I mean, the forums and the... I didn't do any of that, you know, conventions. There's a, there's, a, there's a lot of time, there's a lot of bonding time But look at it in this that way. period. Look at it this way. Just, let's reduce it to the simplicity of watching a film. Yeah. You've watched a film, you've watched the first, let's say it's a 120 minute film, you've watched 100 minutes, and those 100 minutes were amazing. Right. You loved that. Oh my God, I can't believe this happened and that happened and this was good and that was good. And then the last 20, it just falls a fucking part. That's exactly how Game of Thrones was. We made you love it. Right. We made you feel really involved. The dialogue was superb. The look of it was superb. The plot lines weren't predictable. And then we give you an answer for the ending, which wasn't predictable. But it was kind of like if you had a top 10 list of what would we like to see versus not. <laughs> number 10 of this is not what we'd like to see. Right. That they, was what it was. They they chose that. Seems like they cashed the check, and that was the uh, they cashed the check already. And well, that and that's what's that's what's really interesting because there were like at least one and a half million people that signed a petition for them to redo the last season. Jeez. A and then the two writers slash showrunner producers of the show had jumped to Star Wars. And they got kicked off of Star Wars, or they left Star Wars. I don't know. Star, Star Wars, the... the some forthcoming Star Wars stuff. Okay, so... they were meant to be responsible for. So a lot of people were like, oh, you left that to go into that. So this money you went for the more the bigger paycheck, etc." Uh huh. But you have people that literally are resentful and bitter about the fact that they ruined a show. Which you know these things, as you well know. If you've worked in anything to do with mainstream film, you know that everything passes through a bunch of different channels. Yeah. It's not just, hey, Bola, do you like this? Okay, cool, we're done. Yeah. Or, I like it, Bola, don't worry about it. No, it, it goes through a lot of, especially within the studio system, it's got to go through a lot of people. Or it goes through a lot of filters. Passes through, it passes, it gets passed through a lot of desks and, yeah. So who signed off going, yeah, this is good? <laughs> like I told you. They, I think it's one of those things where you kind of live in a bubble, right? Because you know people are going to watch this no matter what. So, what do you, I mean, they, yeah, but, it's easy to take that shortcut. Yeah, but take the Seinfeld approach. Yeah, that. Like, take the Seinfeld approach. He had the opportunity. Seinfeld could have gone 50 seasons. Well, probably not 50, but nevertheless, <laughs> could have gone a lot longer. Could have. And could have dwindled and gotten awful. Yeah. Instead, they took the idea that a, they all had great stability in terms of uh, their reputation and their paychecks, of course, until Kramer, what was his name, Michael Richards, mm. decided to make a few off-colour jokes about <laughs> some black guys in the audience. Yeah. <laughs> but besides that, they all were riding high after the show. Yeah, for the most part. The writers of uh, Game of Thrones? Yeah. <sighs> I'm sure they'll find work out there oh, somewhere. I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will. But, you know, you you, just, you put your reputation somewhere, and now the reputation that precedes them is you messed up what was a great show. I don't know. Like I said, it's, for me, it's hard to chime in on this because I really, I didn't, I haven't watched any of it, or I, I just wasn't involved in, 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 
in it as the rest of everybody else. And just so everyone knows, this is coming from a man who two weeks ago met Sean Bean randomly. <laughs> I should have asked him, what do you think? But he has he hasn't been on the, he hasn't been quite on that show since like the first season or something. I can't say anything. Okay, for all sorry, spoiler alert. He does get killed. Well done afterwards. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. And then just go ahead. <laughs> anyway, he does get it. He does get it some somewhere in earlier on in the whole thing. You could stop. But that being said, I don't. I can't really chime in because I would. I'm I'm curious about it just to see whether was this an actual creative decision, or was this just laziness. Because I mean, I remember the, the ending to Sopranos, right? That was there was a whole controversy about that, and that was a I show I watched. It. I love that ending. Yeah, but to me, it was. I mean, I don't, what do I? What can I say about the ending? It was kind of anticlimactic. I seemed like initially it was jarring, um, but then once I thought about it, I fell in love. But with then it. I kind of good point but then i started thinking about like even a year after or two years after then i realized you know what it also could have just been a creative decision where i see it now where it's like you you make up your own decision and that's what i love and i kind of like that i like that approach to some to filmmaking and storytelling where it ends where it's ambiguous so it leaves the audience member to figure it out for themselves well it's not as much or to make up their own interpretation of what that's happened. That's it. And that's where we go back to the root thing of what you and I always discuss with regards to film and with regards to our own creations. Right. They are their own entities. They are art. So there's a subjective interpretation involved. Right. So there is. If you believe that Tony went and did X, yeah. if you believe that Tony went and did Y, that's on you. And that's great. Yeah. You can have. No, no. Because I saw when Tony walked along there, <laughs> he was going to do this. No, no. I, I happened to see... You know, um, I've, it's been so long since I've seen the show. What was Edie Falco's uh, character called again? Who? Carmella. Right. I think Carmella did this, etc. But is that how Game of Thrones ended? No, Game of it Thrones. It was just like Game of Thrones. What it did, and I don't spoil things. I don't need to do spoiler alert because <laughs> I don't spoil things. What you will learn when you listen to this podcast spoiler. is I respect you, listener, somewhat. Um, but. Game of Thrones decided to answer the main plot point question. Because as I said, there were lots of things it didn't. Right. But it answered the main question in an absolute fashion. But it was a crap answer. Okay. An absolutely... Like, the least worthwhile answer you could It, it just wasn't a very creative decision. Or did it... Do you just think they made a decision and it just wasn't that great? Or was it just laziness? I think... I think what they... Like, this is... Obviously, this is just conjecture. I'm just being speculative here. But I'm thinking, here's what happened. George R. R. Martin said, this is how I want to end the show. Right. This, sorry, this is how I want to end the story. And they, because they didn't have the... The vastness of how detailed his books get. Right. They went, okay, well, we're going to get to that point, And we're going to get to that point how we see... We're going to get there. Right. Now, maybe the answer to what they ended up deciding to do could have worked, but it required us to go on that journey in a much, much different way and not to feel so rushed, so abrupt, and so out of left field. Ah, uh, okay. So I don't know if I'd call it laziness, but I do believe it didn't have any worthwhile scrutiny that went, you know what, this just does not work. 
we cannot fix it by simply going, okay, and this happened. <laughs> so it, it just wasn't you for you. Your interpretation is it, it wasn't a bad creative decision. It was just other elements. Um, I mean, honestly, I do think it's a bit of a bad creative decision because I do think I, I would be hard pressed to see how uh, George R. R. Martin gets to that end thing and me being satisfied with it. So what happens now then? If he hasn't finished the series of books... Supposedly he's finishing the books. Uh, and supposedly the end result will be that. But again, any journey that has an ending... Um, if the journey feels like the ending has been... Sorry, if the ending feels like it's had a journey to justify where we go... Right. That's different than me just going, Oh yeah, because this happened. Or <laughs> this is the end thing. Uh, now, I, obviously I'm trying my best to not talk too much about the ins and outs of it. It sounds like they got lazy. Maybe. But I'm telling you, I I literally... Because what happened was, um, typically I watched the first few seasons with my girlfriend and some friends, and then just with my girlfriend, and then the last, uh, the last season of the show, I ended up watching with a good friend of mine in a group, and of course my girlfriend as well, and we're all sitting there. And on the last episode, literally... <laughs> We all turned to one another and went, the fuck was that? <laughs> and then, yeah, I, I cannot. <laughs> I, would it, I would have loved to have been there. I was angry. I was angry. Oh. And I was angry because there was so much time invested. Now I'm, I'm worried about Homeland now. <laughs> it's like, well, think it's about like, it. Think about it. There aren't that many TV shows that have wrapped up well. Yeah, it's it's kind of like a it's been a hit and miss actually. Like if I come up with some examples, Dexter, you ever watch Dexter? No. Dexter, it should have ended at season four. Um, come to think of it, I'm trying to think of something. Though. Dexter should have ended at season four. It ended at season eight, and each season wow. would have maybe one or two good episodes following season four. Right. And the way it ended ultimately, very disappointing. Um. Sopranos, I like the ending. Six Feet Under, I like the ending. Mm -hmm. Breaking Bad ended well. Right. Um, I've heard, I haven't seen Lost. I saw like one or two of the first episodes. Yeah, I didn't. But everyone I know of was really disappointed in the ending on Lost. Yeah. Hmm. It's, I can think it's one of those tricky things that can go haywire a lot of times. I just... For me, I've probably seen more disappointing endings than bad, than good right. season or uh, series endings. Right, and that's the thing. and sometimes they just end they just end in ways where it's like, what the hell was that? Yeah, <laughs> it's like it just comes out of left field, and it was like that's how it's gonna get wrapped up. I think what what's very important when you are writing a show um, is the knowledge of where you want to go. Because I think that was the advantage with Breaking Bad that Vince Gillespie had said that he knew where he ultimately wanted the show to be done. Oh, right. And they went for five seasons. Again, that could have gone a lot further. Right. But they said, no, nah, this is how we want it done with. Then again, I guess it's like, I think it's probably a creative decision where you don't want this, this to end in some sort of typical fashion. No. You... Or something sentimental or, or some, you, you want to do something. I agree, but there are absurdities as well. <laughs> there are complete and I and I think and I think when you when you're on the quest for something like that, right? It's like it's too easy to end it in a way where it's bad. 
because you're trying to outdo something you're trying to outdo yourself here and you have end up making a probably not the greatest creative decision for based on people's opinions have you got Mac into House of Cards yet? Do I rewatch it? No. No, I mean. Oh yeah, that's I mean, actually I another mean, good. The idea. completion of House of Cards because well, I know House that... of Cards is a different because I think also with House of Cards is um the problem with that is they I, you recognize that they had to read they had to totally switch directions at the last moment because of you know Kevin Spacey's extracurricular activities and all that stuff right so. I think it was just a tough hill to climb. Mm. I had to, I mean, and yeah, I didn't really like the end the way it ended. But then I recognized, well, this wasn't under normal circumstances. But did, so you did watch the final season with yeah, yeah, Robin Wright. Yeah, yeah. Lead. And yeah, that's the thing. I did watch that. I mean, I was going to watch it anyways. But I didn't, yeah, to me, the ending wasn't, I did, yeah, I didn't like it. It mm. wasn't horrendous, but yeah, it was like, eh. That being said, I recognize the situ the, the circumstances, right? So, well, it is what it is. What can you say? I suppose, but I think what you can say is you have a lot of well-paid writers it, who are literally in a room deliberating how we want something to yeah. or not to go. So, it did. Uh, yeah, I will admit the last episode did seem absurd how it ended. Right. Yeah. And to me, it was like, okay, you, this is the best that you guys could have came up with. Yeah. <laughs> I think any House of Cards fans will, will, will know what I'm talking about. I mean, I really do have to get back into it because the thing is, is despite the, as you put it, extracurricular activities of the lead, it was done very well. The, the show was yeah, done it was, very well. It was very well. The show... The show had me up until the end. I mean, I think there was a lull in the last two episodes, two seasons, I think. But it still had me. And unfortunately, it just had to, it ended because of like, you know, st stuff that they, they couldn't really control. <laughs> I, I, but I did like, but even though I, I kind of thought it was still a good opportunity because it was just, it became even interesting when Robin, uh, Claire became president. And I thought, oh, okay, well, this is a this is going to be an interesting way they can take it. Unfortunately, it just didn't work. Right. Well, that's extremely disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything you're looking forward to seeing at the moment? Well, like, I think I've home mentioned Homeland like a million times so far. Oh, <laughs> oh you want to see Homeland? Okay. <laughs> if I haven't mentioned it already, I'm, I'm pretty fond of that show. I want to see, uh, I think it's, it's called Success. No, Succession, that's it. Succession, Succession with uh, Brian Cox. It's an HBO production. I'm very picky with TV series. Okay. Yeah. Like, I'm just very, very picky. I got... Pretty much the only thing I'm looking forward to right now, the only thing I've been watching has been Homeland and Narcos. I have to continue finishing Mar Narcos Mexico. Yeah, he's only watching Narcos because he's off to Mexico in a couple of days. <laughs> like, and he, he's no. trying to be prepared. I was a fan... No, I was like a big fan of the, the original... The, the the original one right with Pablo Escobar, um, I just for some reason, in the midst of that, I found Homeland and then I got really distracted. So that I uh, haven't yet seen Narcos. I really want you haven't to. seen Nah. Oh, you haven't seen it? Okay. No. See, I mean, I love those kinds of shows, right? 
I mean, it comes, but it, was, it comes back to the problem with Netflix having too much fucking choice. So I've got yeah. it in my list. Yeah, that one I was that was that one I was hooked on. It was great while it lasted. And then in Mexico, not going to Mexico was not bad. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to see it. Check it out. I'd also like to go to Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, Bowler's going to try and I, go to. Uh, I watch it after I come back from Mexico. I don't want to get the wrong impression. Bolo's you already gonna, get the wrong impression anyways. <laughs> Bolo is going to try and enter La Zona del Silencio if any, <laughs> in Mexico. Zona del Silencio. Zona. Zona. So, Zona. You keep saying it with a Z. It's not a Z. Speak Spanish, <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> the, the Z is silent. <laughs> uh, so why do you want to go there? Hey, I wanna, I, I'm just a, I'm a fan of the paranormal. And I'm... And any opportunity I get, I'll take it. I mean, we can tell you're a fan of the paranormal. What I'm watching right now is Ancient Aliens on Netflix. If anybody's into that stuff. I thought you said it was A&E. Or is it a it's, a, it's, it's an A&E show, but it's on Netflix. Okay. But, I, I mean, I, I love that kind of stuff. And I write a lot about that kind of stuff. And I love paranormal stuff. So, I'm like, if I'm in the neighborhood, <laughs> you know where I am. So, if while I'm down there, I'll, I'll inquire about it. I mean, hopefully you'll hear from him again. But, yeah. If I don't get either captured by a cartel member or uh, and or get sucked into a wormhole in the uh, uh, Sona del Silencio. There we go. <laughs> or both. Like I said, or both. I should be okay. But um, but the pyramids will be... If I don't get this go to uh, the Sona del uh, uh, Silencio... The pyramids will be paranormal enough for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, ladies On that note, ladies and gents. And whatever you identify as. Uh, we are done. For today. Yeah. Thank so, you all for watching. I'm sorry, listening. He always says for watching. So I'm a, I'm a visual guy. Yeah, this I know, is a film podcast. Well, when we have the camera set up and we're doing this, that'd be different. But thank you for listening. Uh, if you aren't already subscribed to the Broken English Films podcast, please make sure that you do. We should be available on all platforms that you listen to. Beyond that, I would say have a nice day. Uh, or a nice but night. But it might be, yeah, it might be the night, so who knows. Wherever you are, if everything's going well, and if it isn't, change it, you can. And until next time. Hasta luego. As <laughs> So I was about to say sayonara. <laughs> I mean, you can do it. <laughs> Until next time, folks. Adios.